the 11th episode of the Waterlogged Podcast. We're your hosts, Howard Marlowe and Dan Janolfi. Uh, thanks very much for tuning in. As always, thanks very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. I'm going to dive into a couple topics here. We're going to talk about the American Shore and Beach uh, Association Conference that just happened in Myrtle Beach. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the Energy and Water Appropriations Bill, which is still delayed a little bit. We're working towards we're going to get to our main, uh, main content. We're going to talk about the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, so we have the Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund, which was just unlocked by the House um, to allow that fund to be used. And finally, we're going to talk about uh, insurance and how it plays a role in coastal resilience. Big shout out to the Washington Nationals. Huge World shout out series. to the Washington Nationals. Oh my goodness. Town went wild on Saturday. Great example of uh, not just to stay in the fight, but finish the fight. Exactly. And, Beautiful. Uh, it was beyond baseball. Oh, far beyond, man. These, these folks never gave up. Nope. And, and they always believed they could win, no matter who they were playing. Right. Postseason stats, preseason, uh, regular season stats didn't matter. Didn't matter. This team was going to win. And interestingly enough, the Caps pretty much won the same way two years ago. Yeah. So, so maybe a lesson, like you said, for all of us. It's great. So the American uh, Shore and Beach Preservation Con- uh, Conference was uh, October 22nd through the 25th in beautiful Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Uh, it was a really great time. We were uh, blessed with some really nice weather. A lot of different folks from en- engineering, local governments, uh, trade industries, and other things like that. Um, you know, all, all your coastal needs can be met at the American Shore and Beach Co- uh, Preservation Association Conference. Um, but I think there weren't as many local governments as we as we really were looking to see. No, no. Uh, I mean, they were there, particularly the folks uh, from the Myrtle Beach area down to Georgia um, and up to North Carolina. But we really need folks. Uh, I really would like to see more local governments involved. Uh, and I hope that uh, those of you who are listening from local governments, look at American Shore, uh, ASBPA, and, and you'll ch- check into them because... Uh, they really need more local government officials there because it's those officials who are going to be making um, the most dent here in Washington. Yeah, this is this is really your conference. This is where you can really find uh, a way, ways to meet all your coastal needs, whether you need governmental assistance, policy assistance, engineering assistance, uh, you know, you have dune issues, beach, beach access issues, all of these things can be taken care of. So uh, find your local, uh, your, your next door neighbor, municipality, community, and uh, hopefully we'll see you in Long Beach, California next year. We'll be there. Moving on to our next topic, uh, the energy and water bill is slightly delayed. There are two packages moving through Congress. Uh, the first is a domestic package, and the second is a defense package. And the energy and water bill, which of course funds the core, is going to be in package number two, the defense package. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a weird thing because it's the civil works program as opposed to the core's major work that they do for defense. But nevertheless, the folks who were putting those packages together had some ideas about how they would get votes. And they knew it was going to be a tight issue because of the border wall. And we can get to that in a moment. But uh, nevertheless, energy and water got put into the defense package. Well, what's, what's slowing it down? It is uh, the Trump wall. Um, as you know, Dan, the uh, Trump-rated defense funds this year in order to be able to build a wall. 
people saw him through the wall, wall so that's kind of a defense that's not really working. But having said that, it doesn't make any difference to him. He would prefer to have, you know, be able to say he's built uh, X number of miles and, and, and take that to the next election. So um, Democrats would like to make sure that he's not going to be able to raid that money again. Uh, it's for defense. So there's no agreement on that. I'm thinking hopefully before Thanksgiving. What do you think? Yeah, I'm not putting any money down, but I'm hoping I'm with you. Our next topic is about OMB. OMB is, uh, is the primary culprit in our long-sought uh, battle for coastal resilience funds. Uh, in, in our waterlog, uh, in our recent waterlog, which is out today, uh, that's, that's our main story, and uh, we call them the no-show. And the reason I say they're no-show is uh, they can't even be subpoenaed. They can't even appear before Congress to testify. Uh, OMB is sort of this black box where there's no transparency. A, a top-line dollar figure goes in and projects come out under arbitrary scrutiny of two career people. And as I say in the article, they, they've never worked anywhere but the federal government. And my point in saying that is they don't understand your community and they don't understand your project. Yet they are in charge of deciding its importance and whether it gets funded or not. And Senator Carper from Delaware has pointed out that OMB is responsible for funding delays and, and micromanaging the Corps and its budget. And this really does not help coastal resilience at all. And what's even worse is, like I mentioned, they can't be subpoenaed. So while these folks can hide away all they want, Congress is coming for you. Uh, yeah, we heard uh, last week that also Senator Whitehouse of Rhode Island would like to find some way to get uh, Congress's hands around uh, OMB so that they can at least get some transparency. People deserve transparency in their government. Back in the day when I first started working here in Washington, no committee hearings, no Senate, uh, test, you know, no Senate floor debate, no House floor debate. None of it was televised. None of it was open to the public. House and Senate, yeah, you could sit in the gallery, but you had to come here to Washington to do it. So what I'm saying is the, the tremendous move that's been made in the last 40 years has been to transparency, except OMB, which the Corps of Engineers, for the Corps of Engineers, micromanages it. And they just take it project by project. So, you know, and they decide who wins, who loses. Right. And it's, a, it's a side effect of our, our lack of earmarks. Yeah. President effect. earmarks. Congress can earmark because Congress gave the earmarking authority away. OMB, Congress is coming after you. Yep. <laughs> uh, so it's repeatedly subverted the wishes of Congress, either deliberately or using specific language. Like, for example, last year, uh, some of the, the bill language said, it, you know, funds shall be appropriated towards you know, one thing or the other. And instead they said, oh, well, it didn't say must. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. I mean, these, these folks will really do whatever they can to get their agenda. How clear does Congress need to be? I mean, hmm. Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund has been unlocked by the House, uh, still waiting Senate approval, but it's a big step towards uh, using the Harbor Maintenance Trust Fund for its intended purpose. And uh, Representative Garrett Graves pointed out, well, he said, if I ran a nonprofit and collected funds from the public to provide health care to someone who needed it, and I took the money and spent it elsewhere, there's a word for that in the private sector. It's called embezzlement, and people go to jail for it. <laughs> The fund currently has $9.3 billion in unspent revenue, and at a time when funds are badly needed and all of Congress's talk about our crumbling infrastructure, that's a big chunk of change just sitting there. So it's good to see that at least yeah. the House is trying to put it to work. Yeah, it's been a fight because uh, this is a case where Congress has really made it clear that they would like to see the money expended. Uh, and 
On the other hand, the appropriations process makes it difficult uh, because the committee gets only so much money to put into energy and water appropriations, and that does not allow for all that $9 billion to be spent. But they are trying, and I think this just will hopefully push them in a, you know, more of a direction to get what they would call a better allocation for energy and water. Right. And our final segment today is going to be on uh, why insurance isn't a player in coastal resilience right now. What are their barriers to implementation? There's five main topics we'll talk about. and um, Starting with number one, the benefits aren't fully quantified like they are in, in other sectors. So like healthcare, where the, the, uh, the effects of smoking, for example, can be quantified very easily, can't quite quantify the benefits of implementing coastal resilience projects to the, the benefits to the insurance sector in implementing coastal resilience projects in a certain area. And number two is tied to that, where there are, there are multiple carriers in, uh, in providing that insurance. So, for example, if everyone had uh, a policy under the National Flood Insurance Program, that'd be a different case. But since it's provided by a number of different carriers, the benefits are shared uh, among a variety of different providers. And number three, adaptation is long-term and insurance is often short-term. And that makes sense because people buy insurance policies that you know, are typically renewed annually or in a, in a short number of years where adaptation could be decades long. So insurance companies are essentially being hesitant to, to put funds into an area where they may not have business in a few years. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're doing all these reports about, you know, how horrible sea level rise and climate change is, but they're not putting any money into the solutions. We'd like them to. Exactly. And the fourth is, is copying. Insurance providers, they don't, have an, they don't have intellectual property coverage like other industries do. So in, in other words, they don't want to invest heavily in something that a, com, a competitor can easily steal. Makes sense. But... You know, at the end, I got one more point, and then we'll get we'll talk about regionality and how important that is, and mm. trying to bring okay. things together. Um, and finally, the obvious one: insurance companies don't want to reduce the premiums because they're happy with their current profits. And those profits are large. <laughs> they're very large. You know, and you know, whenever the storm hit, you see these things about uh, oh, insurance companies have to pay out these losses. Believe me, they're making money. They're making, they're way making more good than they money. Have. Absolutely. The insurance and, and also the reinsurance industry, which are the insurers of the insurers, <laughs> or the reinsurers, and, and just loads of money to be made there on you and me and all the people who have homes, businesses, uh, you know, anywhere near the coast. So from a regional perspective, we've got to get these people to work together and try and, and, try and capture savings and try and get the whole... Essentially what they said in one report is they're able to implement these industry-wide uh, changes, like seatbelts, mm. right? Things that, you know, everyone can do that are cheap mm. and effective. But we need to find some way to do that in the insurance industry. Yeah. Because, it, you know, uh, w one way to do that uh, is through government regulation, and I don't see that happening uh, in the foreseeable future because insurance, oddly enough, is not regulated by the federal government. It's regulated by each state. So... Not likely to happen because seatbelts, you can come along and say, you know, some, some regulation that says you have to do this. And so, you know, insurance companies, oh, we'll be big safety people and we'll get behind that. Now, I, I think uh, here it really is in the insurance company's interest uh, to, to do something. But the best way to do that is not for every local government to suddenly try to figure out how they're going to get uh, insurance uh, industry to, you know, get 
get real on this and try to uh, make some uh, real contribution, but really to have uh, local governments form alliances with their neighbors. So if you have a regional alliance, if you have it in uh, three communities, four communities, five communities in the area who say, yeah, our problems are similar, maybe our solutions are a little bit different, that's fine. What can we do together? What are our objectives? And we will look, you know, people constantly, we're seeing states that are committing themselves to doing uh, studies, resilience studies, local governments, county governments doing resilience studies. They're going to say, well, the study is great, and we don't have the money to implement. Well, now, who can we bring on board as part of the solution? Who will also benefit? Insurance, other businesses in the area, banks who have the mortgages, all of that. And I think only when um, there's regionality, when that regional approach is taken, are we going to see action uh, that's really significant in this country. And when local governments show the way forward, then we're going to see the federal government doing at least something that is useful to help uh, put some uh, change in, into, um, and I do mean change, because for the federal government, it'll be relatively small amounts of money, because you can talk billions for the federal government and you're talking small amounts of money. Um, but you can put that money in and help leverage through grants and other things help leverage what local governments are doing. So regionality is something we talked about it uh, when we spoke down at the ASPPA conference. It was great seeing all you guys there. Uh, thanks for listening today. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today. And we'll see you in a month. Absolutely. Take care.